language, appetites, and actions reveal the kingdom that owns my allegiance. Let's talk about that. What you hear me say, what you see I desire, and the way that I live my life reflects the kingdom that represents who I really am. You see, the way we act, the things that satisfy our desires, and the goals that we passionately pursue are all grounded in the identity that began at our birth and was shaped by what influenced us most as we grew to maturity. If someone immigrates from one country to another, they arrive with skills, physical characteristics, and even a language that were products of the environment they were raised in. For example, even if they are conversant in the language of their host country, their accent will still betray them as to where they came from. The same holds true for their appetites and goals. For the same reason, the things they enjoy eating will be influenced by the diet of their homeland, and their goals and ambitions will most likely be influenced by what their past taught them to value. It is our hereditary, our societal genetics, that has imprinted us with the image of what we are and influences what we continue to be. This influence can be overpowering. It burrows itself into the very essence of who we are. As a young child growing up in Chicago, I vividly remember the way neighborhoods became isolated communities or enclaves of immigrants. Each one represented a determination to maintain the ethnicity brought from a land they had left and mesh it in with the new land where they had come. They sought to find another future. In other words, they attempted to take what they had left behind into what they were hoping to create. There was Little Italy, Chinatown, Greek Town, Irish Town, Little Sweden, and the French Quarter. These neighborhoods encompassed mere blocks, and you could walk through several simply got by going from one main street to another. Each had its own language, customs, styles, and each took great pride in exhibiting their uniqueness. Even today in Los Angeles has Alvera Street, representing Old Mexico, and Texas has Luckenbach, New Braunfels, and Fredericksburg, all German enclaves from the 1800s. Each of these communities represents where people came from instead of where they had come to. While most desired to live and gain acceptance in this new land, it seemed that they also wanted to maintain their identity as to who they had once been. This often created problems for them simply because they were caught between being refugees from their past and aliens to their future. Not only were they foreigners to their adopted country, it was also impossible to miss who they really were and what they represented. Each national identity was obvious and displayed by what people did, what they had an appetite for, and what their vision of the future they hoped to experience looked like. Sometimes, you see, it's necessary to embrace a new kingdom. 
Well, today, those ethnic enclaves of my youth have largely disappeared, primarily because the offspring of those immigrants chose to identify with the land of their birth rather than the kingdoms of their past. The old languages have faded. The appetites for grandmother's borscht or pickled herring or curried rice have been overwhelmed by hamburgers, pizza, and hot wings. While their parents may still long for what was once familiar and safe, their descendants identify with a birth that is rooted in another kingdom and another way of living. While many still try, the truth is you cannot hold dual citizenship. Your allegiance eventually will and must be made to one. It is not something that can be shared between two. Jesus was very clear in both Matthew 6 and Luke 16 when he said, No man or servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He went on to explain that this was not only an ethnic or national identity issue, it also applied to everything we allowed to set the direction of our lives. In Matthew 6, he said, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon or money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. The truth is that the only way I can experience the fullness of the kingdom I desire to claim as my own is to forsake everything that identifies me with the one that I have left behind. This is critically important because only when I truly value my identity with the new kingdom will I understand what it means to fully serve its king. I believe that the Apostle Paul was attempting to get this point across to the early church in Philippi when he said in Philippians the third chapter, Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me, now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. He went on to explain it further to the church of Ephesus when he said this, Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you once were distant and far away from God, now you've been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. In Philippians, he urged the church to let go of everything from their past. And in Ephesians, he promised them that if they did, although they were once distant and far away, now they would be brought delightfully close. I believe the message is abundantly clear. I cannot bear the image of where I have come from and expect to reflect the glory of where I am going to.
The kingdom that I now wish to inhabit requires that I conduct myself according to the example of its king. It expects that I change my appetites to desire those things that cause me to be changed into his image, and it demands that I place my future, my hopes, and my dreams completely at his disposal in order to accomplish what is important to him. Well, what does that look like? I believe that understanding the difference between what has value and what is desirable is an important place to start. When I'm trying to impress people, I gravitate towards the things they consider desirable. To a man that desires much, the importance of the things he possesses is based upon the level of desire they provoke in the eyes of those that do not. The greater the desire they provoke, the greater their importance is to the possessor. This is really the essence of things. Labels, fashions, and trends are all geared towards creating jealousy between those that possess them and those that do not. They appeal to fleshly desires and they create a false sense of desirability. Their desirability is a passing vapor that is born out of a fear of being left behind or being made to feel awkward. This is because a man that desires much believes that possessing much that is desirable will make him even more desirable himself. The Apostle Paul took this very seriously and he warned his protege, Timothy, about men like that even in the church when he said, They add misery to many lies by corrupting their minds and cheating them of the truth. They equate the worship of God with making great sums of money. Consider this difference. To a man who desires little, however, value is based on the purpose something serves and not how it appears or whether others desire it. That is why Armani or Rolex will never produce shovels or toilet paper because their mission is about image and desire and not about purpose. They define themselves by their cost or exclusiveness instead of by the service they provide. Yet, when difficult times come, purpose and value always outweigh desirability. That's why during a pandemic, people stood in line to buy toilet paper, but did not stand in line for Gucci handbags. They all pursued what was important instead of what was desirable. Label desirability ceased having value. Regardless of whether the toilet paper was made by Charmin, Kimberly Clark, or gas station single ply, the purpose it served was so necessary that its value grew in relation to its scarcity. Paul again underscored this to Timothy when he wrote in verse 6 of the same chapter we read earlier, we have a prophet that is greater than theirs, our holy awe of God. To have merely our necessities is to have enough. The point here is that if I am wanting to transfer my allegiance to a kingdom that is not of this earth, I cannot spend my life pursuing things that only have value to an earthly kingdom. Finally, it's critical we understand that what we are trusting in is reflected in the things we say, 
the decisions we make during the times of crisis in our lives and those around us. This is because the crisis often creates an environment that seems to demand a reality check. This reality check forces us to wonder that while we know what we believe to be true, is it possible that sometimes it's necessary to compromise what we believe in in order to preserve what we have? This always leads to compromise. You see, compromise is the process of negotiating between what we believe is right and what we think is necessary. It's the decision to be realistic about what we are facing as opposed to being idealistic about what is correct. It is also very apparent to anyone watching us that what we profess to believe is actually just a preference and does not truly define who we really are. If my allegiance is to a kingdom from another realm, then my conduct and my decisions must reflect the trust that I place in that kingdom I represent. If my representation of this realm cost me something in the place that I've been sent to serve, then the cost is the price of my citizenship and cannot be compromised for any reason without risk of losing my rights to its privileges. Here again, I must be clear as to who I serve and who is the one determining the course of my life. To decide that I possess a right of self-determination places me as the source of all my need and severs the supply that is available to me from the kingdom I claim to serve. When my faith and trust is fully in harmony with the one giving me purpose and direction, I'm guaranteed supply sufficient to the task and reward waiting as a result of my obedience. Again, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in 1 Corinthians 9 saying, Yes, God is even more ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. He then follows this amazing statement by quoting from Psalms 112. Just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he has sown extravagantly and to given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. I cannot be a giver if I'm concerned about what remains. I cannot freely give away what I fear is something I could lose. But the other side of the coin is the fact that I can't lose something I've never considered mine to possess. Folks, the conclusion for today is the necessity to remember what kingdom you represent and who are you headed to. I cannot serve the kingdom of heaven if my life is entangled in the things of earth. I'm Lane Johnson, and this is Battle Leadership. Hey, thanks for watching this video. If you enjoyed it, make sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts to stay up to date with what we're doing at Battle Leadership. Thanks.